Uh, open your Bibles to, guess where? Matthew chapter 5. Your Bible should be starting to open there by itself now. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, we're down to verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, in our world, everything we have is a matter of degrees, right? Uh, there are things we want, there are things we kind of want, and there are things we want badly, right? Uh, there, and there are different kinds of things that we want. Trivial things, useful things, and valuable things. And, and constantly, as we are assessing our wants and our needs and, and how we're going to get what we want and how we're going to determine what we, we get, all those things, we're constantly doing a kind of, of triage without necessarily thinking of it that way. We're not consciously doing that, but, but we, we do. And we, we, so some things that we want, we get easily and quickly. And some things that we want may cost more and take time. Uh, some things we may just simply say, I will do without that. We, we are constantly doing that kind of thing. We work with this sliding scale. Uh, we want something, we try to get it. When we find that there, there are those things that when we want, we find the cost and we say, never mind. <laughs> never mind. It's kind of like uh, the housing market today. You see a house, you say, I like that house. <laughs> What does it cost? Never mind. <laughs> don't, don't need that house. I can find something else. I don't want it that bad. Well, today, the thing we're talking about wanting is righteousness. Righteousness. Uh, we, do we, and he says, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So today, we're going to, to explore what those terms mean. We're going to consider two types of righteousness. because, uh, And interestingly, I was, I was thinking... Uh, uh, in terms of, on my own, I was thinking of, of personal righteousness and social righteousness. And I thought, let's see what the experts say. And the experts say, you really can't tell from what he's saying. This, some people think it belong, applies to personal righteousness, and others think it applies to social righteousness. And so we're going to look at, at both of those uh, before we're done. Uh, the word righteous righteousness that we're talking about here, uh, is also justice, right? The sense of, it's not just the sense of, it's not like self-righteousness or holiness. It's more like righteousness and justice, wanting justice, wanting things to be right. You want them to be fair. You want them to be the way they should. You look around at the world and you say, the world is not right. It's not righteous. It's not the way it should be. I wish it could be. But one of the first and most important lessons we learn in life is life is not fair. And, and, and it's kind of interesting to watch people who've never learned that lesson, right? Usually they're four <laughs> or less, right? And, and they're still figuring that out. But eventually we start learning. We don't always get what we want. Life doesn't always work the way we want. Life is not fair. It's just, just the way it is in this world. But righteousness that we're talking about Oh, uh, the life in the fire. With that, I have attached to that. We don't often see justice. Sometimes we see justice done, and we go, yes. I have been wanting that justice. And, and again, it can be on a personal level or a social level. We can say, road, versus, road v. Wade is overturned. Justice, yes. We've been wanting that. And, and then we start hearing all the loopholes and all the problems and having to hear. I, I, I'll, I'll confess to you, I, I watch the news now with my remote in my hand so I can hit the mute button because I do not want to hear our governor speak. 
going on online. See if that gets blown out. They may not post this one. I don't know. <laughs> uh, because it, it, it just hurts inside to hear this, this uh, backwards righteousness, reverse righteousness being declared as if it's right. Uh, but righteousness is, right, true righteousness is conformity to God's rules. There is no other righteousness that is right, but there is definitely another sense of righteousness out there that is completely wrong. And, 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 and that is so bizarre to think about. How can that be? But it's so scriptural because that's what Paul describes in, in Romans chapter 1 where he talks about the world calling right wrong and wrong right, and, and, and that's what we see so clearly. God makes the rule. When we say conformity to God's rules, it works like this. God makes the rules, and his rules determine what is right. It's that, it's, I'm sorry, it's that complicated and it's that simple. Now, to make you feel better about it, God's making the rules is not arbitrary. As we look at God's rules, as we explore them and we find them, we come to see that his rules are not merely right because he says so, but they are actually right. Right? They're not, they're not co coincidentally right. They're not, they're, God, is, God is righteous, uh, not because he follows his own rules, but because his rules are right. They are right in the most true, obvious sense of the word. His standards are good, and his standards are right. And righteousness is, by definition, I'm giving you the definition, and because I'm giving you the definition, I'm telling you, by definition, righteous is conformity to God's standards. And usually, when people don't like God's rules, it's not because his rules are arbitrary, but because they are being arbitrary. His rules get in their way. I've been thinking this week, for some reason it came in my mind. Anybody remember Jim Jones, the, the cult leader that led his people to drink the Kool-Aid, where that saying comes from? The, the pastor I had in Spokane, and so I'm going back a long ways to a guy who remembered back, he had once been in a church where Jim Jones spoke, before Jim Jones became wacko. <laughs> and he says he remembers Jim Jones taking the Bible and throwing it behind him, and saying, this book gets in my way. Now, I want to tell you something. This book gets in my way. I, I, I'm sorry, that's a true statement. It doesn't let me do things I would like to do. Okay? Anybody else? Like, you will never see me throw this down behind me. <laughs> I, have, I have way too much fear of God for that. <laughs> and it's the fear of God that makes me, that allows this book to get in my way. Because I'm, I see it and I say, that's my, because that is God's standard, that has to be my standard. And I'm not saying I follow it perfectly. Please don't, don't think I'm up here lying to you uh, and claiming something that's not true. But usually when people uh, think that God's rules are unfair, it's because they are trying to base rules on conformity to their will. Conformity to what makes them happy, to conformity to what pleases them. This is what feels good to me. This meets my standards, and this agrees with my morality. And because of that, they say God is wrong because he interferes with what I want to be right. And we don't have the right to do that. And, and people who do this are, are arbitrary and, and not righteous, and they don't recognize what they're doing. They don't realize it. They, they're not consciously thinking going through a thought process and saying, well, here's what I want to be the rules of right and wrong, so this is what I'm going to hold by. Rather, they find other people who think like them, 
they form a group called whatever you want to call it, and, and, and usually not officially, but, but and, and of a group of like-minded people, and they say, here's what's right and wrong. And so we have movements like the LGBTQI plus. Yeah, uh, uh, and, and, and things like that, because they're looking for people who can help support their view of morality, which is immorality. The person who wants righteousness is the person who recognizes, among other things, why does a person hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because he recognizes what a mess unrighteousness has created. And, and we look around the world at us, at, at, at our world, and we see this world, and we say, what a mess our world is. And we are feeling that more and more in our modern times. I don't remember, you know. And you know, the problem is, is that I'm getting old, and old people always say things like that, don't they? <laughs> they have always said that. But I don't remember a time when things have changed as quickly as they are. And, and, and things have fall, seem to be falling apart as much as they are. And I think what we're seeing is the, the, the result of unrighteousness being in control and the mess that unrighteousness has made. And, and so the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, he hungers and thirsts for it because he needs it, because he doesn't have it. See, the person who is, is, is surrounded by, hung, by, thir, by righteousness, he doesn't hunger and thirst for righteousness because he has it. You don't have to hunger. You know, when you're at home, and the kitchen faucet is in there, or you've got bottles of water in the fridge, you don't have to hunger and thirst for water because you, you've got it. You just have, I mean, you have to walk all the way to the kitchen. <laughs> what a drag. Oh, man, i got to get my own water. <laughs> we, don't have, we don't hunger and thirst and, because we have it. But the person who hunger and thirst, hungers and thirsts for righteousness is the person who recognizes he doesn't have it, and he wants it. And he sees the mess it's made in the world, he sees the mess it's made in his own life. And he says, I wish I could have righteousness. He sees evil going on, he sees the fruits of evil, and he just wants righteousness. And it's not easy to get. So that, that's, that's talking about the righteousness, but hunger and thirst. I mean, it's like that doesn't need definition, but I'm not going to just define I'm going to describe it. Deeply desire. Uh, I don't know what you think of when you, I th when you, if you think biblically of hunger and thirst, but I think of what we find in Psalm 22. 42, I mean, as the, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. And, and, and I, again, because I am built the way I am, that's one, one of those songs, many songs, that when I sing, I feel like a hypocrite. Because <laughs> I don't feel like I do. I'm, I'm too shallow of a person. Uh, but I think I am also have the experience of being blessed with being in the midst of a lot of, of righteousness. You know, uh, not to swell anybody, but I will tell you something. This has always been a good church. It is so easy to preach the truth here. I don't know how many other places uh, it's like. I mean, I know there are a lot of good churches. I'm not trying to say, say that, but, but uh, it has always been so easy to preach the truth here. I don't have to hunger and thirst for it. If, if uh, I, I came up with a new... New quote. Again, for some, you know, when your mind goes places, uh, I was wearing my shirt, sweating like a sinner in church. <laughs> and, and, and I thought, I thought of this. If, if, if the people ain't squirming, uh, there's something wrong with the sermon. <laughs> and you people like it when the sermon makes you squirm. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. 
Somebody can make a song out of that. It's okay. I, I, want, I want a percent of something. But <laughs> the, the psalmist, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. And as you read through the psalm, it appears to be what they call an exilic song, psalm, a psalm that was written while the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. And he can't have what he wants. It is, it is, it is hundreds of miles away, and, and not merely is it something that he could, could, would have to travel hundreds of miles to. It's hundreds of miles away, and he's not allowed to travel. And as the deer pants for the water. You know, why does the deer pant for the water? Because the deer's not at the water. The deer's at the water. It doesn't pant for the water. He is by force removed from the, from, from, from the in this case, it's, it's God, the presence of God, what he knows is the presence of God. In, in our case, we're talking about hunger and thirst for righteousness. We, we live in a land where righteousness is far from us, hard to find, and we can't make it happen. We can't get there, so we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, then there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us if we're not. Okay, still in Psalm, Psalm 42, verse 6. Oh, I say still, and I turn my page. I actually have my uh, second bookmark in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to go to Habakkuk today. How many times have you heard a sermon go to Habakkuk? <laughs> if you want to start looking now, <laughs> it's about 40 pages backwards from Matthew 5. Uh, so verse 6 of um, Psalm 42 says, My soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. In verse uh, 9 to 11, he says this, I will say to God, my, or, or, I'm sorry, verse 6, he says that and he's saying it, he's, he's not saying it from there, but about there. You know, it's a translation thing. Uh, he's saying it about those places that he remembers, those places that were so meaningful for him. And we start at verse 9, he says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you restless within me? And then he says, I will wait for God. Wait for God, for I will again praise him. From the help of his presence, my God, he just feels so far from God. And he pants, goes back to that panting hunger as a deer pants for the water. So what we're talking about, with if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you want it so bad you can taste it, but you can't find it. It's not even on the radar. You can't say, well, there it is over there. You're looking for it, and you don't see it. Uh, you look for it in the world news. You look for it in the local news. You look for it in, 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 on TV or entertainment. You, look, you long for a better day, and you can't even see the possibility of it. You don't see how it could happen, where it can come from. This deep desire is a rare thing. Most of us don't get there. You know, often, too often, our desire, our hunger and thirst for righteousness only goes for the hunger for the righteousness that affects me, right? Uh, often our desire goes as far as it benefits us. I don't think I've ever heard a child say, it's not fair because he saw another child being cheated, <laughs> right? <laughs> when does a child say that's not fair? When he's being cheated 
or often when he's not being cheated but being given what he deserves. <laughs> and he says, it's not fair. Well, you know, we do a grown-up version of the same thing. So long as my needs are met, I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want to be sure we get treated fairly. We want to know that we're not cheated. We want to know that our candidate got the correct votes. <laughs> and it, it's not very common to see someone who truly hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Most of us just dabble in righteousness. But, you know, we, we go in the shallow end. Uh, here's what I want in righteousness, and here's how I want it prepared. <laughs> Those are our definitions, and this is what we're talking about. We, we want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Okay, and so that's, not, that's, that's what we're talking about. Now let's look first at righteousness in the world. And it's very easy in these days to get a conversation started about how bad our world is and how quickly it's getting worse, right? I've said those things. Your minds probably went on a dozen rabbit trails, you know, as, as you start thinking about different ways the world is getting worse. And when we say that, we are expressing a hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? To some degree, we are expressing that. It is our desire for it. We want a more righteous world, and we are saying so. God, I wish this world was more... Please, Lord, bless our nation and make it more righteous. Move the hearts of our governor and our, our people. Father, move, because we have, the, sorry, we have the governor we deserve. Um, but that's only because we are outnumbered on the other side of the state. But, <laughs> but I'd like to go to that book, Habakkuk. Like I said, it's about 40 pages back. He is the eighth of the minor prophets. I'm just stalling so you have time to find it. Uh, he is about, there's the, of, of the 12 men who we call minor prophets, it's only the fifth is the one that we mostly know about. That's Jonah. Uh, and then we go on through these unknown guys. And three more beyond Jonah. We get to Habakkuk, or you might say Habakkuk, or any other way you say it. doesn't matter. Uh, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, <laughs> now I'm saying it different, uh, he complains about the injustices he sees in his land. He is, he is in his land. He is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And he looks about his land, and he says, God, why are you putting up with this? Okay. Now you say, am I making that up? Let's read it. The pronouncement which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, Lord, have I called for help, and you do not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see disaster and make me look at destitution? Yes, devastation and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out confused. He says, God, this land is bad. The righteous are, are not there. The, the unrighteous are, are winning in their way. Uh, the wicked surround the righteous. Strife and contention exist. He does not like what goes on. He is complaining about the injustice he sees in the land. His complaints, there is violence. There are disasters. Strife exists. Contention is, uh, arises. Laws ignored. Justice never upheld. Justice comes out confused. Who knew that Habakkuk was watching the nightly news <laughs> in 2022? Habakkuk is hungering and thirsting for social righteousness. He's hungering and thirsting for righteousness in the world. And he takes, does exactly what he should do. He takes his upsetness, his, bother, his bo being bothered by this, and he takes it to God and says, God, why aren't you doing something about this? And God says, oh, I am. Watch. Watch. Uh, so let's look at uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. This is God's answer to Habakkuk. Look among the nations. Watch. Be horrified, be frightened, speechless. For I am accomplishing a work in your days that you would not believe it, even if you were told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, 
That grim and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to take possession of dwelling places that are not theirs, they are terrifying and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are faster than leopards and quicker than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen charge along. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. And he goes on and on and describes these Chaldeans. By the way, the Chaldeans is another word for Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> the one who came in and took Daniel and his friends hostage and then came back and took some more people hostage, including Ezekiel, and then came back again and flattened Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, right? That's who he's talking about. He says, by the way, hey, don't, don't worry about it. I got it handled, Habakkuk. I'm bringing the Chaldeans. Now, how many of you think that's good news? <laughs> but that's God's answer to Habakkuk. Don't worry about it. I'm coming. Okay, and so he says, I'm bringing the Chaldeans to, to bring them back. So let's flip ahead still in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Habakkuk is now answering God back. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot possibly, or you cannot look at harm favorably. Why do you look favorably at those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Now, all of a sudden, these Israelites who he was calling so ungodly a minute ago, the unjust, he's saying, but wait a minute, they're more righteous than the Chaldeans. Why would you use the Chaldeans to take them away? Why would you use the wicked to bring up, to, to punish those more righteous than them? It's like, you know, matter of perspective. You know that sliding scale I was talking about? You know? As bad as our nation is, we're not in Ukraine, right? Uh, we, 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 have, we have problems in our nation. We have rights to complain about the problems in our nation. Our nation, we live in a nation that is increasingly ungodly and unrighteousness, unrighteous. And we should hunger and thirst for social righteousness. We should. But at the same time, we recognize we still are blessed to live in this land. You know, we're next week. You know what next Sunday is? The 3rd of July. <laughs> wow. You know, 4th of July, because they, they, they should officially move 4th of July to the end of the month somehow. <laughs> because it's, it's like I'm always, it always catches me unprepared. Anybody else? Yes, because it's too close to the 1st. <laughs> uh, but but we're, we're that close. And, and, and we will celebrate our nation's birth. And, and we'll talk about the freedoms we have in the nation. And we still do. Right? We still live in a wonderful nation, but it's not as wonderful as it ought to be. It's not as righteous as it ought to be. But uh, God says, I'm bringing in the Chaldeans. He says, <laughs> Habakkuk says, but they're worse than all our people. And, and God explains through chapter 2. I'm not, we're not going to read any one verse. There's no one short proof text verse. But he goes through chapter 2 explaining that, well, because Habakkuk says, how can you do that? God says, basically says, that's okay. I've got other people who are going to take care of them later on. And by the way, because we know our history, we know that those other people were the Medes and the Persians who came in and defeated the Babylonians and took over from them. And by the way, sent the Israelites back to the promised land. Okay, uh, interesting thing about that. We know that because of history. Here's something else we know because we are mathematicians. Habakkuk probably did not live to see that. Now, that's really something you want to hang on to. Because he complains to God about the injustice he sees. God says, that's okay, I'm bringing justice. Just be patient and wait. But Habakkuk will never see the justice God brings. Not in this life. Okay? Uh, and so we, we, we go on to chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 of Habakkuk. By the way, 
The book of Habakkuk has three chapters, and the last two verses are 18 and 19. So this is how he closes this book. Yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like deer's feet, and he has made me walk on high places. Now, does that take you back to Psalm 42? <laughs> it's like, wow. It's like, God, you do things so well. <laughs> it's like... I, I can't, it's so powerful. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. He has made my feet like deer's feet, and he sets me to walk in high places. He satisfies the longing. Now, Habakkuk's not going to see this in his life, but he will see it. And here's the thing, is by the end of Habakkuk, I said he's not going to live to see it, but he's going to live to experience the freedom of it. Right? The blessing of knowing that God is bringing righteousness to pass. God is going to do all this. Uh, Matthew 5, 6 says, For they shall be satisfied. And Habakkuk doesn't see his request answered. He only takes it by faith. But when we read that, I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He has made my feet like deer's feet. That sounds more than satisfied, doesn't it? That's, that's, that's capital satisfied. <laughs> you know, that's bold italic, in your face, satisfied. Not having actually seen, experienced it, only seeing it by faith, God has given him the victory of, of righteousness, knowing that righteousness does win. Righteousness will prevail. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing. The satisfaction was not that he saw it. His satisfaction was that he trusted God. Here's the truth. Here's the truth in this world. Until Christ returns, we will not see righteousness ultimately prevail. Right? In this world, we will have tribulation. In this world, and I'm not saying, I mean, I, I, I personally think that we are, you know, rapidly approaching the end times, which at what point do you say we've crossed over and are in it? You know, I, I don't know. But I, I, think, I think that's what we're looking at. I think we are on the verge of all this. But, but you know what? I have been wrong before. Yeah. You know, there was that one time. You remember that? <laughs> and, and I mean, things may change. The world, things have gone bad in various places of the world and then become good again. It's, it's been known to happen. And, 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 and uh, the world has done that, and, and it may. But there, there may be temporary reprieves. There may be moves in good ways because those have happened historically around the world where things have gotten worse and then things have gotten better. But ultimately, righteousness will not win in this world until Christ himself returns and sits on the throne. And we have to trust in the ultimate victory whether we see it with these eyes or not. That's social righteousness. Righteousness in ourselves, however, is, is another thing. To hunger and thirst for personal righteousness. Why would you do that? Because you are experiencing the effects of unrighteousness. Because you see your sin and what it has cost you. 
And as you see your sin and what it has cost you, and you look at yourself, and you say, what a wretch am I? I cannot undo these things. I cannot save myself from this. These are, these are a, a price. Think about the wages of sin in your life. I mean, and this may take too much time. You may not have the time to dabble in this right now. Right? Think about the money sin has cost you. Think about the relationships sin has damaged. Isn't that your sin or someone else's? Not, I mean, this doesn't have to be a guilt trip. Think about the emotional toll sin has racked up. You know, when I hear all these people talking about, you know, the woman's right in her body, and, and I just want to see and say, well, take care of your body before you get pregnant. <laughs> you know, protect your body. And, and, I, and I try not to be angry. I try to have pity on these people, and it's hard because I'm a damaged human being myself. But you look at the, the, the things that they call right and the emotional toll it demands and the damage it does to lives, left and right. And yet they demand the right to do those things that are damaging their lives so badly. The emotional toll sin has, has, has racked up. And the defeat and the despair and the embarrassment. And embarrassment's a good word. Uh, I, I thought of that. I thought, do I have to defend that word? Because I can. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is a chapter that talks about slavery to sin. And verse 26 has, has this simple word. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Let me tell you something. I don't have to be a prophet to tell you this. I just have to be a human being. You have done things that you do not ever want to say out loud. You have done things that you do not ever want to share with anybody because you are ashamed of them. You are embarrassed of them. I don't care how good a saint you are. And you hunger and thirst for righteousness. But of course, that is impossible because you cannot undo what you've done. That memory is with you. You cannot put it away. But then Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we looked at this in the social sense, the sense of, of, of the world and the, the, the politics and the governments and society and all that. But it's also true personally. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied. Let me tell you something. Conviction of sin is a good thing. John 16, 8, uh, conviction of sin, of righteousness uh, and judgment. John 16, 8 is when, about the Holy Spirit, right? And he, when he comes, will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And when you see a sinner that you want to share the gospel with, pray to God for the Holy Spirit to convict that person of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Because if the Holy Spirit has convicted that person of sin, of righteousness and judgment, you can go to that person and say, do you need Jesus? They say, yes! <laughs> Maybe not quite that fast. Because God has done the work. God, by the way, God always does the work of salvation. <laughs> You're just there, right? You're a tool that he, he may use at that point. Uh, you know, the person who you will never reach is the one who thinks he's righteous enough. 
The one who thinks he, he is righteous enough does not need any help. But when we recognize that we are not righteous enough and that it matters, we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we think we can never get it. We think it is beyond reach and impossible and will never be seen. And then we find the blessing of 2 Corinthians 5.21. And he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. Wow. Now, just to be sure, I double-check, same Greek word. <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because he made him who knew no sin to be righteousness for us, and we will be satisfied. The person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be satisfied because he will receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. If <laughs> you are feeling your unrighteousness right now, you may be a saved person who has trusted Jesus Christ, but you have some sin, some unconfessed sin, this applies to you in the exact same way. Confess your sin to him. Confess it is sin. By the way, renounce it. Part of, if you confess it but keep doing it, I don't think that's going to do you any good. Renounce it. And he will forgive your sin and you will be satisfied. And if you have never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you say, I'm not sure about that thing, but you are feeling the weight of your sin right now. Understand, that is the Holy Spirit giving you a gift. He's giving you the gift of guilt of awareness of your sin. And understand that he who giveth taketh away. <laughs> and he will take your sin away. And he will take that guilt away. Because he paid a price. He paid a horrible price to give a wonderful gift. And if you need that, I invite you to... to it's, it's Technically, I mean, it's like, there's the prayer. He's supposed to pray the prayer. <laughs> God doesn't look at your prayer. God looks at your heart. If you, with your heart, tell him, you want Jesus to be your Savior. I don't care what words you use. That, that's not the important thing. Now, it is important that you say something. And by the way, it's important that you tell somebody that you don't hide it and keep it a secret that you've done it. Because as long as you keep it a secret, it's, I, don't know if it's, I don't know that it's real until you share. And I, and I, I don't know how to say that except for uh, Romans, funny. Uh, let's see, is it chapter 10? If we confess with our lips... Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead. Uh, you will be saved. Thank you. Uh, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And somehow that confession, that sharing of your decision, is a part of salvation. Okay? It doesn't become all of a sudden a work. It becomes a... Sealing the deal. Um, uh, it's important to do that. So, so I, I say all that just to say, if you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, ask him honestly to save you from your sins or to be your Savior. You know, use the words that you want to use. Uh, go to him. I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer as, as a, an example. I'm going to tell him I've sinned and tell him I don't deserve to go to heaven. I'm not worthy to go to heaven. Go to heaven. But I know that in spite of my sinfulness, he loved me so much that he died on the cross for me. Because I know that. And I'm going to ask him to be my Savior. And of course, 
He is my Savior. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to do that. But as a way of example, if you would like to pray, pray along, you can. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. If I was to be judged based on my conscience right now, I would be so beyond hope. I do not deserve to go to heaven. I don't need you to tell me that, Father. I can tell you. I do not deserve to go to heaven. I am not good enough. But I know, because your word tells me so, that in spite of my sinfulness and unworthiness, you loved me so much that you went to the cross and paid the price of my sins, taking away my unrighteousness and giving me your righteousness. And Jesus, I praise you. I thank you for this gift. I accept it. I accept your salvation and the blessings you give. In Jesus' name.